0: If a seller says, you know, this is what happened in the business, and they can't really document or demonstrate it, I might say, well, I want the seller note to be more, and we're going to make it subject to offset in the case of a material misrepresentation or undeclared or undisclosed liability or lien that affects me. When the buyer gets control of the business, if it then turns out that some of the information provided was inaccurate, and the business isn't as good as you led me to believe then I can seek damages by offsetting against the money I owe you.
1: Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry, a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there Through retirement planning education, resources and expert interviews, Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I'm Joe Curry, along with my co-host, Lindsay Wilson. How are you today, Lindsay?
0: I'm great, Joe. How are you?
2: I'm great, thanks. We are at our second episode, I think, in the new year when this comes out, which is really hard to believe. Yes. Right now, we're still waiting for Christmas to come in our world, but hard to believe that we're in the new year. And this is actually a part two episode. So we had a conversation with David Barnett, who's also on the show again today, previous, so before Christmas. And we were talking about some of the mistakes business owners make when they're getting ready to sell their business. We talked about some things business owners need to know before they go to sell their business. But today, for any business owners out there who you know have the goal of selling their business, that's one of their New Year's resolutions. Maybe we're talking about the process of selling your business, and as we talk about in this episode, it is rarely as simple as just saying, "I want to sell," putting it on the market, and finding a buyer within a couple of months. There's a process to go through from getting ready to sell the business right through to actually getting the check and being able to walk out. So. David does a really good job of walking us through that process today.
1: Yeah, and a little bit about David. His specialty is really working with small and medium-sized businesses, and he's helped entrepreneurs buy and sell them, help them grow, and help people finance them. He's also the author of eight books about small business transactions and local investing, and he's also the host of a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses and can be found at his blog, www.davidcbarnett.com, which I'll put in the show notes.
2: Perfect. Thanks, Lindsay. You're welcome. All right, David Barnett, welcome back to the show. How are you now? Oh, thanks for having me, Joe. Glad to be here. We've recently had you on. It hasn't been too long. And we were talking about some things business owners need to know if they're going to be selling a business. But today, what I was hoping we did is we'll dive a little bit more into what does the process look like for someone who's going to sell a business, maybe to the surprise of some listeners, it probably doesn't look like, okay, I don't want to be in the business anymore. So tomorrow I'm going to sell and I'm just going to list it like i list my house and hopefully in a couple of weeks it's sold and I'm out of here. Am I wrong or is that not how it generally goes?
0: So it depends on the level of preparation that the business owner has and whether they've been going out looking to learn how to sell their business. Yeah, I would agree. There are a lot of people out there who think that when they decide they want to sell the business that they can. The reality is, is that a business can be sold when it's ready to be sold. So it needs to be an attractive business that someone would want to buy. Number one. And then number two, you've got to be ready. I'll give you an example. I mean, I used to own a business brokerage office. I was a business broker who's a professional that helps people buy and sell businesses. Today, I do the same kind of work, but I act as a consultant, a little bit of a different business model. But I would regularly meet people, and even today, I'll meet people who say, I've decided to sell my business. Can you help me? And the very first part of that entire process is to do an evaluation of the business. It may not surprise you, Joe, but to do an evaluation of a business, I need things like financial statements, and I need people to go through a list of questions with me so I can learn about the business. So it surprises me when people will say things like... Well, I don't have my last two years of financial statements. I haven't given the accountant everything I need, and we're going to have to wait six months for that. Obviously, this stuff has to be taken care of and it has to be ready. And on top of financial statements, I mean, that's just the beginning. So when I go through this process with people, I'll ask them for a list of documents that I need to start. We'll then go through a questionnaire. I'll need all kinds of information and just interviewing someone and asking questions. They'll tell me stuff, and then I'll say, great, I need these supporting documents well, they've got to dig them all up. And sometimes people will say, do you really need this? Here's what I want you to think about. There's going to be a person who's probably going to take the majority of their savings. They may even get friends and family members and other people to invest with them. They might remortgage their house. They might use a HELOC. They might take money out of retirement accounts. They're going to borrow money at the bank, and they're going to sign perhaps a note saying they owe you even more money. And this person is basically going to gamble their entire financial future on the business that you're selling them. So before they take that action, they are likely going to want to verify and validate all the things you've told them throughout the entire sale process. So that verification is called due diligence, which we'll get to down the road. But in order to prepare for due diligence, just providing the information to me that someone needs to do this evaluation, I mean, yes, you have to do the work and it's going to be a lot of work. And it's just the beginning of what it's going to look like. And most people get pretty overwhelmed, honestly, at what it's going to look like. And this is a normal part of the process. Everything that you state, everything that you claim about your business is likely going to have to be verified in some way in a documented fashion. So once I do the evaluation and I come back to the business owner and I say, here's what I think you could sell the business for and they decide that they would like to proceed and go to market. The next thing we have to do is create what's called the business profile. It's sometimes referred by other names like SIM, confidential information memorandum. There's a bunch of expressions for basically the same thing. It's a package of information about the business. So we get into the story of the business, the story of the current owner, history of the business, financial exhibits, how has the business performed over time? What kind of technology changes have occurred over the life of this business? Who are the customers? Not specifically, but we describe them. We might even have a list that just says customer A, customer B, customer C, but lists out how much these customers bought in each of the last three years, especially if we have any degree of customer concentration. So we're building a document that is going to be exciting. And interesting and answer as many of the buyer's questions that we can think of beforehand. And this document is typically 30 to 50 pages in length. And it's also going to have simple things like photographs of the business, maps of the area, showing what area perhaps your business covers, demographic information about your clientele, all kinds of stuff that you can think about. Now, we don't share this publicly. We don't want anyone, in fact, to know that the business is for sale, but using a confidential process. When we find someone who's qualified to be a buyer, we'll ask them to sign a non-disclosure agreement. And then we might have an initial interview between the seller and the buyer where the buyer gets to learn more about the business. And then they're going to get their hands on that package. The goal of the package is to give the buyer confidence to make a contingent offer on the business. So what that contingent offer means, it's like the buyer saying, assuming everything you told me is accurate and true, this is what I'm prepared to do. This is the offer I'm willing to make. And then you negotiate that. Then we have to then validate and verify that everything that you told this buyer is in fact factual and true. And that's the due diligence. So depending on the type of business and the complexity of the business, as far as timelines go, evaluations can be a few weeks if you have everything together. Finding an appropriate buyer can be months to years in some instances. The negotiation, the back and forth can easily be over several weeks or longer, depending on whether things get stuck at different points. The due diligence can be anything from a few weeks on a small, simple retail store type of business to several months if there's more complexities in the business. So in that process, it's normal to actually negotiate the process for due diligence. So a buyer, for example, could share with you, like when I work with buyers, We will share a Google Doc with the sellers and all the seller's advisors. And we could have a list of over a hundred kinds of pieces of information that we want. And there could be a, a place on this Google Doc for whether or not it's been furnished yet, when it was furnished, who is responsible for furnishing it. Is it the seller, the seller's accountant, the seller's lawyer, et cetera. Just to track what pieces of information have to be dug up and delivered, and if they've been delivered yet and when they're being delivered. Sometimes due diligence can itself have contingencies. The due diligence could say that the buyer has six weeks to complete due diligence once all the documents asked for have been delivered. So if you take two months to gather them and deliver them, then the due diligence clock starts, right? Right. So being prepared is important. During the due diligence phase, there's usually also the search for financing that's happening at the same time concurrently. The buyer's accountant is going to be working on some of the documentation that you furnish. The buyer's lawyer is going to become part of the process and they're going to start to look at some of this stuff as well for their own legal due diligence. And then they're going to do things like inquire with provincial and federal tax authorities to make sure that your filings are up to date or that things are accurate based on what you've shared as far as information. So the due diligence process in a nutshell is the validation of what the seller is saying by confirming with third-party purveyors of information. So when you claim, for example, that you have a million dollars of revenue in your business and you're in Ontario with 13% HST, let's say, then a buyer might want to look at all of your bank statements. They might go through and add up all of your deposits. And what they're looking for is for those deposits to add up to $1,130,000, which is a million dollars of sales plus HST. Now, obviously this can vary. You could have different cash balances in your bank account before and at the end of the year or what have you. But it's a simple idea of how you verify things. You look for these other suppliers. In the case of someone who sells, let's say beer, you're just selling a bar. Well, beer is purchased from government controlled authorities. And so it's easy for me to go and look and verify what you bought. I can look at all the purchase history of what that bar bought And then if I know the gross margins, I can then do the math and see if it comes to a number close to what you said was the revenue of the business. So it's all about looking at it from different points of view. And the more concise the information, the more solid I feel as a buyer that the business's information is accurate, the more confident I'm going to be with a higher amount of the purchase price being delivered on closing day. The less confident I am the more I'm going to be relying upon what we call representations and warranties provided by the seller, which are, you can think of them as guarantees about the business. So if a seller says, you know, this is what happened in the business and they can't really document or demonstrate it, I might say, well, I want the seller note to be more and we're going to make it subject to offset in the case of a material misrepresentation or undeclared or undisclosed liability or lien that affects me. And so what this means is that when the buyer gets control of the business, if it then turns out that some of the information provided was inaccurate or was materially incorrect, and the business isn't as good as you led me to believe, then I can seek damages by offsetting against the money I owe you. And so this is where having great records, being transparent in the way that you handle sales, handle money. That your expenses are all legitimate business expenses and are well documented, et cetera. This is where having a tightly run business ship is going to pay off for you. It means that the buyer is going to require less of these offset opportunities and you're going to get more money on closing day. If you're running a loosey goosey operation with little documentation and a lot of stuff open to your word, expect to get less money on closing day and have far more conditions attached to those seller notes. Because that's the only other way that the buyer can control their risk in the deal. Yeah. Would you
2: say that it's typical in any way for a seller to just get a check for the value of the business and be able to walk away?
0: So it depends if we're talking about really fantastic, well-run, profitable businesses that have something called goodwill. And all goodwill is, is the difference between what someone's willing to pay for the business and the value of the stuff in the business. Right. So an example I like to use is a pizzeria, and you've got really great sales and really great cash flow, and someone's willing to pay you a quarter million dollars for that pizzeria. But if you add up the furniture and equipment and inventory in the business, it only adds up to a hundred grand. Well, the gap, that extra $150,000, that represents the goodwill of all those people who are regular customers who come in on payday and pick up a pizza. And so a good profitable business with goodwill, in that instance, the buyer's challenge is going to be getting the money to pay you the full amount because goodwill isn't collateral for anyone. So in that instance, the seller is going to have to do some of the financing just because the buyer can't get the money. If the business is far more poorly run, let's say it makes less than half as much money. And really, the value of the cash flow is a hundred grand, and we actually have a hundred grand worth of stuff in the business. Mm-hmm. This is a greater opportunity for a seller to actually be paid on closing, the full amount of money, because there's no risk in the transaction now for the buyer. They're paying you a hundred grand, they're getting a hundred grand worth of stuff. This is obviously not the ideal outcome for a business owner. And this is why it makes so much sense to work on the business to make sure that the earnings are there to actually justify a higher price.
2: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So you talked a little bit about timeline, but basically, if someone wants to sell their business and they know they're going to want to, they need to really start this process a couple of years out because there's no guarantee it's going to happen in six months. Or You don't even know if you're going to have a buyer in six months
0: to start this whole due diligence process, right? Yeah. Well, there's all kinds of quotes about intentions and plans, right? And so When should you start this process? There are people out there who say you should start thinking about selling your business when you start it. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think you should start thinking about selling your business when you know you have a marketable asset. When is that? I'll tell you precisely. It's when your business is able to pay you a fair market wage for the work that you do as the owner-operator every day, and then there's more. Right. That's the moment where all of a sudden, somebody could look at your business and say, this is more than just buying a job. There's actually a rate of return on what's been invested in developing and creating this business beyond the value of the owner's time spent in the business. And so for some people, that could be in the first few years if they start something from scratch. If you buy a business and it's already successful, then hopefully it remains in that category as you move forward. But as soon as you cross that line, you should start thinking about it. And here's why. Top five reasons why people sell a small business. The first reason I'll lump these together as sort of mental reasons is burnout, boredom and fatigue, right? You just get fed up with it. You're no longer interested. You become checked out mentally and you say, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's a great reason to sell a business. Then there's divorce, poor health, the need to relocate and retirement. And the thing is, Joe, earlier we talked about your plan. Only one of those five things is planned for. Retirement. Yeah. The other four things are things that happen in life and sometimes not even because of you, because of some other person in your life, right? Right. So knowing that 80% of the reasons why small businesses go up for sale are out of the owner's control, this is why it makes sense to actually... Be prepared throughout the course of your ownership once you cross that income line that if something happens, you're ready to sell. And so this means always doing a good job with the bookkeeping, always trying to make sure that you're showing a healthy amount of profit, always keeping great records and not commingling personal and business stuff together, et cetera. So that if one of those things happens to you, that you're going to be in a position to get this process started and not have to spend six or eight months playing with paperwork before you can even get the ball rolling.
2: Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And the Exit Planning Institute, they say, you know, exit planning is just good business strategy, which is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. And it also goes back to what we talked about on our last episode, which is if you do all the things to get the business ready to sell, then you have a nice business. So whether you want to sell it or not, you're more profitable, things run smoother without you. So why not be thinking about making it a saleable asset anyway? Totally. All right. Any other thoughts, any final thoughts on what people need to think about as they're starting this process to go through selling their business?
0: Yeah, you know, the biggest issue that a buyer is going to have is identifying exactly I use the term goodwill, the accounting term, but there's another way in which that word is used is where exactly does this positive feeling about the business reside? So, in the case of the pizzeria that I mentioned earlier as an example, You could have thousands of customers and most of those people don't know the owner. They know the brand, they know the location, they may even know the phone number off by heart. So in that example, the goodwill of that business resides in the name of the business, the brand of the business. But in other businesses, like if you're a home builder or any other kind of professional service business, the goodwill may not be in the brand. It may be in the owner and the reputation that that individual has in the community. So if you think that that describes you as a business owner, you need to implement a plan to get the goodwill off of you and onto your business. And this can be a multi-year plan, but it generally looks like the same thing in most cases, which is figuring out a way for customers to be happy dealing with other people in your business. And I've got a friend named Mike. He was the central core, central nervous center of his business and He wasn't very good at delegating and everything had to go through him, et cetera, et cetera. And he went to sell one day and people very quickly recognized that without him, the business didn't function. And he had to go through a process of systematizing his processes, delegating authority to other people, letting those people make mistakes, which can be difficult for an entrepreneur. Yeah. Having systems information so people would know they had made mistakes and that he would be able to see what was happening in the business. Without having his hands in every file. And the last stage of his implementation of this transformation was that instead of showing up for work at his company's office, he rented an office in a co working space in a different building. And he started to go there every day for work instead of his office because he knew that if he was around, he would always be tempted to get into the business. He would answer people's questions. If he was on location and customers knew they would want to ask for him. Mm -hmm. So he removed himself and really put himself in the role of an owner and just doing those ownership things. That was when he discovered another whole slew of things that he'd kind of forgotten about that needed to be addressed through systems and delegation, et cetera. But he succeeded in moving the goodwill from himself onto his business. And that's the kind of thing you need to think about if you are sort of the main driver of why your business gets customers and sales.
2: That's a good thing that you shared that story because I think a lot of people, a lot of business owners feel like no one can do things the way they do and they have to be there. They have to have their hands on everything and they can't delegate because people are going to screw it up. And the reality is if you want a sellable asset, you need to find a way to remove yourself from the business so it can continue to carry on with their
0: you. The alternative though, is if you can't figure this out, It means that you can only sell the business to someone just like you, perhaps that's younger. Right. So if you want to imagine a roofing business, someone who goes and puts new shingles on people's houses, you go out, you do quotes, you order supplies, you organize the workers, you get material delivered, you talk to the homeowners, all that kind of stuff. If you can't create processes for that, then the only person you can sell the business to is someone who also understands roofing and can do quoting and can organize the workers and all that kind of stuff. And that is a much smaller pool of potential buyers than if you can show someone, here's how we calculate our costs and do our quotes, and that we have these simple tools built on Excel that do the calculation for us. And here's how we organize the cruise and the schedule. This is our process. We look at the estimates of time and material, and we put that into the schedule, and we look at the travel time, and this is how we document the process. And so this way, I don't have to do the schedule. One of my employees can do the schedule. If you can show somebody all of these things, well, then you can sell the roofing business to someone who today works at the post office. They can see how you do it and they can then imagine how they're going to learn how to do it. And if you think about any time in your history, most entrepreneurs at some point in their past have had a job. And, you know, if you were a teenager, for example, and you went to work at McDonald's, these people are great at it. Well, there's a process for how they do everything there. And that's the kind of thing that you want to have in your business. So you can demonstrate to anyone that they're going to be able to run the business just by following your recipe, your operations guide or or whatever it's called.
2: Yeah, that's perfect. Well, once again, Dave, I
0: appreciate
2: all the wisdom that you shared with our listeners today. And again, where could people find you? What do you have going on? What's the best way to get in touch?
0: So I run a blog site at davidcbarnett.com. It's where I post all my latest videos, articles, et cetera. You can learn more about me, the different programs I have available, books, et cetera. And if you go onto YouTube or your podcast app, I've got over 600 episodes all about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses. That stuff's all for free. Just search David Barnett Small Business and I'll be right up there at the top of the results perfect and we'll make sure we have all this in the
2: show notes too you can find it on our website retirementplanningsiified.ca David thanks again for joining us today. Thank you Joe for having me it's been a great time. my pleasure
1: Investment services are provided through Matthews and Associates Investments of aligned Capital Partners Incorporated an approved trade name of aligned Capital Partners Inc ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, And you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.